Welcome to How to Trade It, The Road to Trading Mastery. Join Casey Stubbs, a seasoned trader, as he guides you to become a profitable trader. Find actionable insights, real-life stories, and strategies to boost your trading skills. Don't miss the journey to trading victory. Start listening now. Connect with us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Trading profits are just an episode away. This is the How to Trade It podcast. We talk about the real stories behind successful traders. You will learn the strategies that the best traders use in today's markets. And we get those experts to show us how to trade it. All right, everyone. Hello, this is Casey Stubbs with the How to Trade It podcast. And today I'm featuring Chris Tate from The Trading Game. Thanks, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. And yourself? I'm doing pretty good. It's great talking to you on the other side of the world. I'm in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and it's Friday here for Chris in Melbourne, Australia. 6 a.m. Friday morning. So good morning to you. Thank you. So I like to get started out by just sharing a little bit about your history and how you got involved in trading, what got you started, why you were attracted to it, and just some of the challenges and and all of that fun stuff that has gone through in this journey of trading. I'm probably the poster child for you don't have to have a background in finance to trade. And that's one of the great myths I see that's thrown out there to people who are starting that you've got to have some sort of background. You've got to have a degree in business, a degree in finance, be an economist, be an accountant. That's not true. I started my life as a research scientist. I had a completely different career trajectory in mind, and that was to get involved in biomedical science, finish postgraduate training, lecture, teach, research, that sort of set career path that parents are always immensely pleased with, very proud of, and want all their migrant children to do. Unfortunately, what happened was somewhere along the way I got bored, not with the science. The science is really, really interesting and always has been. What I got bored with was politics, which everyone experiences, either in academia or in their workplace, dealing with people. Everyone has to deal with people, and that's vastly frustrating a lot of the time, and dealing with students and no money. And I had a seminal moment in that I was walking back from giving a tutorial to a bunch of first-year students, which is always challenging because they're always as dumb as a box of hammers. So I was really frustrated. And I ran into a friend who had I'd done first year with, and we'd been in the same stream. And we'd actually been in high school together, and I hadn't seen him for years. And I said, where have you been? And he said, well, I actually dropped out, and I went into economics. It just wasn't for me. And I said, so what have you been doing? And he said, well, I've just gotten back from London where I've been for six months and I'm about to do a placement in New York for a year. He'd gone to work for a merchant bank. And I said, okay, I've got to ask, how much do they pay you? And he told me. And it was about six times what I was earning as an academic. And I thought rather arrogantly, I'm smarter than you at school, smarter than you at university. Why am I poor? And what grew from there is coincidentally, coincidence is a wonderful thing in people's lives. I began to do a little bit of work for consulting work for biotech firm startups because in the very early 80s here in Australia and the same in the US, biotech was a big thing. 
a lot of these companies were trying to list on exchanges as a mechanism of fundraising. And it grew out of there. I started to trade my own account. And it, markets to me seemed to be a fascinating problem. But they also seemed to be a fascinating problem where you could earn much more money. And it is that, and look, I will be blunt, the life of an academic is fascinating for, you know, the science, the investigation, the problem solving, brilliant. The money everywhere is rubbish. And so it simply began from that deeply personal motivation of, well, I'm here, but do I want to be here for the rest of my life? So then you were really interested in the revenue side and you started trading your own accounts. And how did you make that transition from being a scientist to trader? The transition was interesting in that it had a number of detours, as everybody's does. There's a lot of false starts. You trip over yourself quite a lot. I view my career in terms of the mistakes I've made and what I learned from them. I thought, well, I'm trading my own account. I have to do it through a broker. Brokers must know about trading. Mistake number one, they don't. Never have, never will. But that was a naive mistake that I had made in my very early 20s. And I thought, well, if I went to work for a broking firm, I would learn more about trading. That quickly dissipated as an opinion when I walked in, sat down at the dealing desk because I managed to talk my way in because I was quite quantitative. And the fact that I could use a calculator fascinated them. And the person sitting opposite me had sold carpet and the person sitting next to me had sold shoes. And that at the time in the 80s was the only sort of training you needed. And I thought, oh, this is going to be really interesting. But because I had access, this was giving away my age now, this is when here in Australia we still actually had trading floors. We had physical exchanges which disappeared in Australia in the 1980s when we went fully electronic. But I got access to the floor. And the floor is a fascinating place to learn how to trade because you can see ripples of emotion go through the trading floor. You can see changes in price. You get to understand how people behave. And my mistake of thinking brokers could trade was offset by the fact that I got access to this resource and this resource where I could learn on the job. And it gave me an entree into, because the first field I actually traded, which became my specialty for decades, was options trading. And it gave me access to you know, the options floor. And mistake number two, I thought I could carry that advantage of having access to the floor to being off floor. And so you can't. You need to readjust again. So my career was one of a series of mistakes and a series of lucky incidents and I think it's one of those things in life you can never dismiss the role of good fortune and the role of luck and the fact that you've actually got to make something of it. And so despite the fact that entering broking was a mistake, it gave me the opportunity to make something of it, to do something with it. And that enabled me to take the leap from managing my account, managing money professionally to leaving markets, well, leaving that sort of arena completely and sitting at the desk just trading my own account. That is a pretty good journey there. So when you talked about being a scientist, I think that's pretty fascinating myself because I like doing research. I'm not, don't have the intelligence to be a scientist, but I like the idea of it. How does that carry over? How did some of those skill sets carry over into trading? I've had numerous discussions with people over decades about what makes a good trader. And I actually think, and you touched on this, it is research, but it's actually the curiosity behind the research that's driving it. Traders need to be curious, but they need to like solving problems. And 
it's a little bit like, let's use a simple example. Let's say that you look at equity markets at present, you go, well, they're taking a terrible belting. I will look at other markets. You're now curious about, say, how commodity markets might work, how foreign exchange might work. So you set yourself these little research projects where you head down that path of looking and learning. And every good trader I've ever met, and it doesn't matter where they are in the world or what they trade, is fundamentally curious about markets. They're curious about the history of markets. And that's one thing that people don't take into account. For example, at present now, we're all suffering under the weight of COVID-19. And people who started trading five or 10 years ago will be running around banging into walls going, I don't understand what's happening. Whereas people who are students of market will go, well, we've seen this before. We saw this in the GFC. We saw it in the dot-com bust. We saw it in 1987. We saw it in the mid-70s. We've had any number of busts, and they're much better prepared. But they're much better prepared because of their curiosity in that they sit down and go, okay, here's a problem. How do I navigate the problem? The problem is at present markets have tanked. All right, equity markets have tanked. Where are markets trending that are liquid and that you can do something with? And so it's curiosity. And that's the thing. I think people let themselves down here a little bit. They say they're not intelligent enough to do something. And I don't think that's a driver. A driver is curiosity because I've not met anybody yet who trade. I just haven't. And in actual fact, some of the worst traders I've ever come across are highly intelligent PhD holding quantitative traders. They have no idea. And if you want an historical precedent, look at long-term capital management from decades ago. You have Nobel Prize winners running a hedge fund who nearly destroyed the financial system. And they did that because, in part because of their arrogance, but also because they weren't curious enough to go, okay, this is happening, the model's wrong, what do I do? But more importantly, and this is the thing that really separates people, the number one problem that has to be solved in trading is the individual. Most trading systems work. But look, if you're a trend follower, over the long term, on average, if you've got good money management, you'll make money. Throw in a few decent trades that you get really hard, you'll make an awful lot of money. And I've met people with what I would consider to be very powerful trading systems who just can't drive them. There's something in them that stops them being successful. And you would have undoubtedly seen this through your experience that you see people you look at and think, They've got it all going on. They're about to get there, and then they do something catastrophically dumb. And unfortunately, people aren't curious enough about what goes inside their own head. Yeah, that's true. And one of the things about the engineer types and the the quantitative people that are really brilliant is that they think that the market is strictly a math problem, and they forget about the underlying emotions behind it, yeah. and the also their own psychology that needs to take place, the mind game, and they just can't get past that sometimes. That's perfectly stated in that they think that the market is like a clock. And when you pull a clock apart, it's all beautifully engineered and all the cogs go together perfectly. And if one cog breaks, you just put another one in that fixes it. I had a student many, many years ago who is a very, very high-level mathematician, and I hadn't seen him for some time. I actually ran into him whilst I was out. How's it going? He said, almost ready to place my first trade. Okay, we haven't spoken for 10 years. What the hell have you been doing? And what it turns out is that being a mathematician, he could not stand the thought of being wrong. But trading is a profession where you're wrong an awful lot of the time, but it doesn't matter. 
so long as on the ones that you're wrong, you lose one, and the ones that you're right, you make four. But his psychology and his training and his personality, he couldn't get over that hump of, I'm going to be wrong. I can't possibly be wrong. It's the nature of the game. We're always wrong. It does take learning. It's definitely a skill to realize that you're going to be wrong. But then again, you know, you mentioned sports earlier. When you play baseball, you know, if you've got a 285 average, that's good, right? So you're going to strike out most of the time. And that's the issue with all high-performance endeavors. The good thing about people is they only remember your wins, but you remember your losses. If you've played sport at any level, it's like the big sport here in Australia is cricket. Batsmen will always eventually get out, always. There's never been a batsman who, during their career, has not had a run of outs, who's not performed poorly. It's just the nature of the game. And trading is a game where you get a lot of outs, but it doesn't matter because it has this wonderful paradox that, There's no link in in any way, shape or form between being right and making money. And once you can get that through your head, it becomes easier. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I've heard you use the phrase, hit it hard, hit it first. Can you explain what that means and what you mean by that in regards to trading? Yeah. What happens with people is that, and I'll use a conversation I had with someone many, many years ago as a starting point. I was sitting down looking, and this was a professional trader on a desk, and we were talking about their system. And I said, okay, how does the system work? And they said, well, it's a trend-following breakout system, which is, you know, that's a very good basis for a system. And I said, okay, where do you actually take the trade? What, What says to you, I must now buy or sell this? And he said, well, what I need is three years of confirmation. And I thought, dear God, the move would be over by then. We have a thing, I refer to it as first signal. My view is that you must take the first signal in any instrument that appears, no matter how you feel, no matter what you think about it, no matter what you hear in your head. The moment the system generates a signal, you go, and you go instantly. Well, there can be hesitation, but very, very good traders i found will have a system that says go, they go, and that's it. It's that very mechanistic sort of stepwise approach. The secondary thing to that is I actually believe that you can generate a hierarchy of signals. If you get enough data on what your system is doing, you can look at it and say, well, these signals, whilst they generate a positive expectancy, they fail at this rate. These ones have a positive expectancy, but they fail at a lower rate. If that holds true, and it often does, then what you can do is start to do some creative things with money management you can start to say, okay, these trades which I'll class as, let's call them A+, I will load up a little bit on and I will be much more aggressive in my pyramiding, in my going after the trade. One of the mistakes I see people make, and this is one I was guilty of very, very early on, is that they'd see a perfect setup, perfect trigger, perfect trade, take it, and then not do anything with it. They would just sit there going, okay, I'll, I'll just sit here now. No, because what happens is the markets are very generous in terms of what they will tell you and what they will offer you. They will say to you, okay, Casey, here's your setup, trigger, signal, go, and you go. They'll then say to you, okay, do you want to go again? And it's up to you to decide whether you do. Do you want to go again? Do you want to go again? And we've all seen these situations where stocks have just run and run and run and run. Now, now granted, it is fine to take the position at the beginning. That's excellent. You're off to a really good start. 
But if you don't take advantage of what you're being offered along the way to add to the trade, to keep going after it in some way, shape or form, then you're not maximising what the market's offering you. If you look at stocks that have run hard, often over years, they continually say to you, do you want to take more? Do you want to take more? Do you want to take more? And a lot of traders ignore those. And again, it comes back to what we were saying before. They ignore those because that becomes a psychological issue. Should I, shouldn't I? They become filled with doubt. They look at the profit they have in the trade and they think, well, if I add to the trade and it goes bad, then I'll lose some of the profit I've already got. Not realising that trading is governed by the expression, on average, over time. Trading is a deep time thing. And that's the really good thing about it. But we're sitting here having the same conversation in 20 or 30 years about markets because we can continue to trade in 20 or 30 years. It's not like working on a production line, a building site. It's You don't suffer mandatory retirement. You're not punted out of your job. But people forget about time and they forget about deep time and they forget when moves occur. They often run for deep time, generally right up until the time we run into a pandemic and then the wheels fall off and everything stops. At Finance and Markets, we believe that people are the most important thing. That's why in every financial newsletter, we dedicate a section to acts of kindness. When you put other people first, good things happen. We want to inspire you to go to the next level and practice acts of kindness. Go to the link in this episode's description to subscribe. Now, when you're talking about adding into a currently successful trade and people will be like, oh, I don't want to give up some of my profit or I don't want to give back what I've already gained. When you add that second position, do you tend to look at the whole thing as a completely new trade or do you look at it as part of a whole? For me, it's a completely new trade. So what I do is almost go in like I've got blinkers, like a racehorse, so that all I see is new trade. And so they become, for me, separate blocks. And that's the way I solve that problem psychologically. And it take look, I will be honest, it does take a fair degree of mental gymnastics at times, particularly when you've got large positions. And one of the words that's not mentioned in trading, and look, I don't like a lot of the imagery that goes along with trading with all this sort of nonsense of buy when there's blood in the streets, yada, yada, yada because they're very poor metaphors. They don't convey a sense of peace and calmness in any way, shape or form. But one of the words that is not used very often is courage. It takes courage when you've had a series of losses and you get another signal to go, I've got to go. Likewise, it takes courage when you've built this big position and it's very profitable and our mind always plays tricks on us where you think, I could buy a car with what's in there or I could go on a holiday or something or other. It takes courage to go, okay, I'm going to let that stay in play and I'm going to go again. And this is the thing. You've got to – I view trading as a series of tricks. You're always trying to trick yourself into doing the right thing as opposed to giving in to doing the wrong thing. I like that because I look at courage as a great trait that I would aspire to develop in my personal life and I have not thought of it in terms of trading before. So that's a really good analogy. Everything you do – takes risk. You're married? I yes. Take it. it took courage to ask your wife out. 
True. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time since I've done that, but it takes an enormous amount of courage to do often simple day-to-day things. You would think that ringing someone up and asking them out would not be a difficult thing. They've clearly never been a pimply-faced teenage boy because it is hard. And yeah. often day-to-day things take courage. Raising kids takes courage because uh, whilst I heard the other day, whilst you would die for your kids, you'd probably at times be the first person to murder them. <laughs> oh, well, you could ask my wife that right now because she's at home doing homeschooling. <laughs> she has my profoundest sympathies. Yeah, at times it can be stressful, but in the end, it's definitely worth it. That's the thing. You got to have the end goal in sights at all times, or else you could lose sight of the. That's a really important point with training, and I think people forget that they don't start with the end in mind. What do you want to do? Where do you want your life to be in five, ten, fifteen, twenty years' time? What sort of person do you want to be? What sort of trader do you want to be? They start with this notion that, and I often used to joke that people started trading because they watched Wall Street, the original version, because it's much better than the remake. On Friday night, and they think, I'm going to be a trader. They start trading on Monday. They think that by Wednesday they will have bought a Porsche, and by Friday they've probably bought an island somewhere, and they just fly to it backwards and forwards on their private jet. That's not the way the world works. Yes, you can start with that end in mind, but how are you going to get there? What things do you need to learn to get you to that point? And trading is a learning profession. Because you're constantly learning about yourself. You look at some of the things you do and you go, good God, why did I do that? What motivated me to respond in that way, to take that action? We come back to curiosity. Yeah, that's a good point. So a lot of times when people are looking at the markets and in trading in general, they have a lot of bad misconceptions. There's sayings out there that aren't really true. There's things that are taught that aren't really true. What are some things that you think a lot of people are thinking right now about the markets that just are plain not true? I think one of the things, and I'll, I'll hark back to my first foray into the world of broking and professional money management, the assumption that the media, the press, financial advisors, brokers actually have some idea what's going on. And in some way, they have some predictive skill. They've got none. They're just rubbish. I imagine the financial media in the US is the same as it is here, same as it is in the UK, same as it is in Hong Kong and Singapore. It's just rubbish. And unfortunately, people, because they've been told what I think is the number one myth of this is too hard for you, you'd better leave it to us, they tend to believe it. And look, we do give authority to people we consider to be more advanced or professional. We do it every day. Every time you get into an aeroplane, every time you get on a train, every time you get into a taxi, you're abrogating responsibility for something to someone else. But in markets, people are constantly being told that it is too hard for them. That's nonsense. My view is if you've turned up to work with your pants on the right way and your shoes done up, you're more than smart enough to know how to trade, more than smart enough, because it's not as hard as people make it out. I understand why they do. I understand that there is a vested interest in you know, having a profession where you tell people it's too hard for you, just give your money to us and everything will be fine. And it generally is not. And so I understand that. And I understand they get caught up in their own publicity and their own press. But markets are not too hard for people to understand in any way, shape or form. Nor is trading. Trading's a really simple endeavour. If it's trending up over the time frame you trade, you buy it. 
If it's trending down over the time frame you trade, you sell it. Don't bet the farm. There you go. That's all you need to know. That's the easy part. The hard part is then going, oh, my head's not working. Why is my head not working? Why did I buy something that was going down? Why did I sell something that was going up? That's when the hard part starts. But this myth that investing or trading is too hard for the average person in the street is simply nonsense. It's not. If I can do it, anyone can. It's really like that. Yeah, I agree with that statement about the media. In the US, we call those type of people the talking heads, kind of like the bobbleheads, you know, like they're just kind of <laughs> yeah. kind of full of themselves. I don't pay much attention to that. Hello, this is Casey, and I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my new book that just came out. It's called Complete Trading System. This is my 25 years of trading experience sharing everything that I have learned in how to make a profit from the markets. You're going to learn about how to find the right instruments to trade, how to find a trend, how to get started as beginners. You're going to learn about how to get the right mindset and you're going to be able to put it all together to create a trading system of your own that will work for you. I highly recommend that you try it out. Just click the link right now. It's called Complete Trading System. It's available on Amazon. Thank you. Go ahead and check it out. I think you're going to love it. I occasionally, I exclude myself from all media because I don't think it helps in any way, shape or form. It doesn't help with markets. It doesn't help the way people feel because it's just this deluge of sort of breathless hyperbole about everything that's wrong with the world. And that affects the software between your ears. And look, I, I occasionally see it when I'm in airport lounges and it's these lovely graphics and there's a little ticker along the bottom and there's generally a very attractive young woman interviewing a crusty old white bloke and he's opining about why he's so brilliant and about what's going to happen, which never does happen. But because there's no memory in media, they don't go back and go, hey, mate, you said this was going to happen and it didn't. Why not? Yeah. It just moves on to the next excuse as to why it didn't happen and what might happen next. And yeah, just- and, and then they'll just bring the same guest back and never even mention it. Yeah. Sometimes it's kind of like uh, if you look at the weather guy, the financial people are like the weathermen. They're the ones that can be wrong every single day and still have a job. Yes. And that's just, it's just the way it is. I, I find financial media press advisors fascinating because as you say, they can be wrong every single day and there's no consequence because if I'm managing money, if I'm managing, let's pick a number, $500 million, how do I get paid? I get paid a percentage of how much I manage. I very rarely get paid on performance. So if I'm getting 1% of $500 million, I'm making an awful lot of money per year by doing nothing. Right? How do I make more money? I have nice glossy brochures and people who refer people to me who I pay. So I now might be making 1% of $750 million. I haven't taken the 500 to 750 million. People have just given me more money because I've got glossy brochures and I've got a really nice suit and I've got a great office. Of course you have. You're charging people 1% for $500 million. I'd expect you to dress well. 
But it's, again, it's just part of that mythology of the way markets work. It's part of that structure of complete and utter nonsense. Yeah, that's pretty good. So I want to shift gears here as we're winding down a little bit. Right now, the markets have been pretty crazy. They've been shooting way down, then they've been shooting way up, and now it looks like they might be dropping down again. How do you recommend somebody trade during this type of market environment? What have you seen in the last couple of weeks? This is very hard, and it's, it's actually a really powerful question because it speaks to a lot of things. It speaks to the need of having a method. It speaks to also, of we're back to that word courage again, of being able to step out of the market. One of the myths that people have is they think, I must be trading all the time. That's not the way the world works. You can't step out of markets. Let's use an analogy. Let's imagine you a 400-metre runner, very high-intensity activity, like really hard. A 400-metre sprint is a horrible thing. I used to run them at school and university, and they're revolting but you only do it for short periods and your training is not running flat out and your training has a lot of rest days. If you're an athlete, you have rest days. If you are a trader, you have rest days because there are times to be in the market and times to be out because markets are really quite harsh and it's the person who finishes with the most money who wins, not the person who starts. It's the end. We come back to this notion of end point in mind. Where do you want to be? Now, if you've done all your dough, attempting to catch the turn because your ego says you probably should try, then you've lost sight of what the end point is and you've lost sight of that notion that it's the person who finishes with the most money who wins. My personal view is that it is quite acceptable to say equity markets at present are in such a state of flux where misplaced tweets from the White House send them spiralling, misplaced evidence in front of committees send them up, statements by the Fed then send them back down, it's quite acceptable to step back and say, okay, what happened in the past? Let's look at the GFC. The GFC had precipitous fall, recovery. Was there any money made at the turn by people who attempted to do that? No. Where was the money made? The money was made in the next 10 years as the market just took off and presented you with these enormous amounts of opportunity. But if you'd done all your dough trying to be a hero in here, because you thought it was the macho thing to do, or you saw people who were on Twitter going, I'm making so much money, which is crap, because Twitter is a hotbed of people who just make stuff up, and you think you need to compete with them, then you've fallen into a trap of letting your ego do the driving instead of letting your brain doing the driving and saying, look, what I want to do is I will preserve my capital through here, and when things clear an enormous number of opportunities will open up. When you look at markets now, look at where stocks were five months ago and look at their pricing. Look at them now and then look at the opportunities that will come when all this nonsense is, you know, washed out of the system, when we're no longer in lockdown, when the handbrake comes off world economies. But if you've got no money because you've done all your money, then you can't play. Markets are harsh. No money, no play. Yeah, that's true. You got to stay in, stay alive, right? Then you can keep going. It's a little bit like when I learned to box. The first rule in boxing is not how to hit someone, it's hands up. Because if you get knocked out, well, that's really the end of it. It doesn't go much further, actually. 
Yeah, that's it. Stay in. That's good. Well, this has been a great show. Thanks again for being on. Can you tell everybody that's listening how they can get in touch with you and also what you got going on over at the trading game? What is your primary function over there and what you can offer people? Okay. The easiest way to get in touch with me is to go to tradinggame.com.au. Whilst you're there, one of the things that we push hard is the notion that all trading must be planned. It's not made up as you go along. People think trading is made up as you go along. It's not. So we offer what we call a trading plan template, and it's a series of questions about what is in your trading plan. Do you have this covered? Do you have that? You can download that, fill that in. We have an e-course that goes along with it, which is free, and you can find me on all social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Just look for Trading Game and you will find us. Excellent. Okay, well, I recommend that you guys check it out. Go and visit Chris's site. Take a look at it, thetradinggame.com.eau. And all of those links will be available in the show notes. So you guys can just click and go and, uh, you know, follow him, get his course, find out about the trading template. Lots of good things to learn there. So again, thanks, Chris. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Casey. More than worth getting up really early on a Friday morning. All right. Well, that's it for today, and we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the How to Trade It podcast. Our mission is to help you create security in the markets. If you have a question you want me to ask my guests or a specific question you have for me, please email me at podcasttradingstrategyguides.com. I answer every email I get because this show is about helping you learn how to trade it. So again, please reach me at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Thank you. tuning in to another insightful episode of How to Trade It with Casey Stubbs. We hope you found today's discussion valuable and inspiring. Remember, the road to trading mastery is a continuous one, and your commitment to learning and growing as a trader is the key to your success. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at tradingstrategyguides.com. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep trading your way to victory. Until next time.